Pastini is Eugene's new Italian bistro at Oakway Center, dedicated to serving up two of life's greatest pleasures, pasta and wine. Join them for classic favorites like spaghetti and meatballs, linguine with clams and sausage, and fettuccine Alfredo paired with hand-selected Pacific Northwest and Italian wines. Pastini. Eat pasta. Drink wine. Welcome to the Duck Pod. From the Register Guard Newsroom, here's Ryan Thorburn and Austin Meek. Welcome to the Duck Pod, everybody. On this week's show, Ryan is going to have an interview with Hugh Millen, former Washington and NFL quarterback and the father of future Oregon quarterback, Kale Millen. And we'll be back at the end of the show to wrap things up and give our predictions for Oregon-Washington on Saturday. So stay tuned. All right. Well, welcome to the Duck Pod. I'm Ryan Thorburn, and we have a special guest today, Hugh Millen, former Washington quarterback, longtime NFL quarterback. And Hugh's son, Kale, is actually a verbal commit to Oregon's recruiting class coming in next year. So it's great to have Hugh with us for Oregon-Washington Week. Uh, Hugh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, good to be with you. Thank you. Hugh, I guess we'll start with the family. Um, as a Husky and also a proud dad, what's it been like seeing Kale develop into a college prospect and then choose your, your arch rival as his future school? <laughs> well, it's been a little bit surreal on, on some levels. Uh, you, you know, I was a late developer. I uh, grew two inches after my 17th birthday. I actually walked on uh, to Washington knowing I would have to beat out Chris Chandler, uh, a five-star uh, you know, prayed All-American. I don't know if they had five stars back then, but he was a prayed All-American, so by definition, a top five quarterback in the country. And, um, you know, I just, as I said, late developer, you know, I didn't shave till college. And um, I just think it's an interesting uh, uh, component out there with not just athlete uh, uh, evaluations, but, but specifically with quarterbacks. You know, uh, Jared Goff, was a relatively late developer and and uh you know and Justin Herbert and Marcus Mariota they were not the uh the highest of recruits uh Carson Wentz uh was 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 a late developer uh Josh Allen uh one of the most prodigious arms that we've seen in college football in quite some time you know uh not only did he not get an offer coming out of high school he only got one offer coming out of junior college uh, Aaron Rodgers, for that matter, uh, was a JC. And there's a lot of guys that are late developers, and uh, in a world where schools may, you know, want to offer earlier and earlier, you know, in the case, for example, at Washington in this class, Kale's class, they offered a kid after his freshman year. Well, that kid was, you know, had a full full goatee uh, and and started as a freshman. You know, he was. 185 pounds, uh, six foot tall, and you know, and and uh, you know, at that time, Kale was five feet ten, 130. You know, and now he's six foot four, and he's 203 pounds, and and I think he's probably on his way to. He's probably got another 20 pounds uh, to grow. You know, and and he's still not shaving. So I, I just think the physical maturation is uh, is a big part of this. What really matters is. 
what is a guy not when he's age 14 what matters is is how is he relative to his peers at age 20 or 21 you know Andrew Luck to use him as an example because he's one of the best college quarterbacks we've seen in the last you know generation or half a generation he didn't see the field at Stanford till age 20 so what you're really talking about is tell me what a guy is going to look like at age 20 or 21 or 22 that's what the that's what the colleges really should be asking so do you help uh, coach kale and and what's kind of the scouting reporting on him at this point and, and how do you see him at age 20 21 well, I'd just be a dad woofing if I if I tried to uh, speculate. Okay. Uh, you have to prepare and perform. I would say right now uh, he's certainly a better athlete than I was. Uh, the the tape is is showing that, and and you know he he's had to rely on his legs often uh, this season uh, in every game, and so uh, 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 you know we'll see. I I, I think that that. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that because, you know, I can't separate myself as a coach from the dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm aware that, you know, if I sit there and said, well, I think he's going to be really good when he's 20 or 21, well, okay, that, that doesn't really carry a lot of weight because I'm biased. Um, I think that he is is playing at a, 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 a good level now, but we always are coaching, you know, we coach to perfection knowing that we'll never be perfect. But in the process of chasing perfection, we'll catch excellence. And that's kind of the motto. We, we coach to perfection. And so we're always looking uh, at ways to be better, and, uh, and, and we go from there. Uh, you know, and, and, and I don't want to sound evasive. I think your first question was regarding Oregon. Um, just to close the loop on that question, um, I you know, grew in Seattle grew up in Seattle and and uh, have a healthy respect for the rivalry. I, I know it's there. Um, and as a Washington Husky, you know, I didn't like Oregon. And that's as a player and as a fan and what have you. And, and uh, you, you know, Oregon fans would expect nothing less because Oregon doesn't like Washington. Washington doesn't like Oregon. That's just the way things are. But, um, you know, so... I can tell you that I love my alma mater, but uh, I love my alma mater more than I love pizza, but I love my son more than I love my alma mater. And whatever is the best choice for him, I am 100% behind him. And there's absolutely no nostalgia or anything that's going to creep in about whatever my career is. Now this is his life. You know, I'm almost 55 years old. Uh, you know, my, my time is, is over. Um, what's m- far more important, obviously, is, is what, I, what I am as a father to him. And so where he's looking for guidance, um, I'll, I'll tell him my opinion. But I always tell him it's your choice where you go. Where you go is your choice, and I support you no matter what you choose. And so uh, the fact that Oregon has emerged as the best place for him, I think it's great for his life. And uh, I have absolutely 100% um, um, support for him. So are you guys coming down to the game uh, this weekend together? Yes. Yeah, we're flying down early. We we play a game on Friday night. And then we're going to fly down, and and my younger son as well, um, who's been offered by Oregon. And and, uh, so uh, I have... Uh, immense respect for the coaches 
and and what is being developed down there. And um, so I, I, I think it's great for Kale. And uh, as I said, my time has passed, and, and they're, they're the most important things in my life for me now, and my two, my two boys and my family and my wife. Well, your time has passed, but I still want to dive into the mid-'80s a little bit. Um, back when you were playing, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Washington won every game from 81 to 86, and I think you fit in that that time frame. What do you remember about playing Oregon back then before they kind of emerged as a national power? Well, Chris Miller, uh, with whom I played at, at Atlanta and, and, and became friends with and, and remain friends today, uh, he and I, um, uh, you know, were at that time, I think I was a year before him. So Chris was kind of, you had the sense that, that, that Chris was helping pull the ducks up a notch and and they were formidable and, and and Chris was having good seasons then and uh I you know, my I, I can remember playing down there in 85 and we were told in advance Don James said hey it's going to be the Autzen Stadium record now from what i understand there's been a stadium expansion obviously so that would no longer be the record but at the time they it it was the the Autzen Stadium record and we went down there, and um, as a captain, I was a captain. The night before the game, the way Washington does things is the coaches coaches clear out and leave just the players, players alone. Well, as a captain, the captains then have to conduct a meeting, and me as a quarterback, you know, that would usually fall on. And there would be some weeks where, you know, I wouldn't say much. And if, if an underclassman or whatever, it wasn't just the captain spoke, you know, if anybody had something to say, uh, words of motivation or words of thought or what have you, then everybody in the room was feel, again, all players were feel, uh, were, were free to, to, uh, to offer up their opinion. And, and I can remember, I don't remember all the details, but I can remember my most passionate speech was that night. Uh, before the Oregon game, about just kind of about the rivalry and and, and uh, what how we needed to take care of business and what have you, and so so it was a great experience for us. I was I remember it was a sunny day, standing room only, all around the rim of the stadium, and uh, it was a competitive game, um, and uh, the environment was fantastic, and I loved it. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that that. I was never on a team. We never had to absorb a loss from Oregon, uh, but but certainly had respect for what they they were growing and and uh, understood that there was a rivalry that uh, had the potential to really hit. Yeah, looking back at, at that score, it was nineteen thirteen Washington in nineteen eighty five. Yeah. Was that the last time you were in Austin, or have you been down uh, intermittent? No, I've been several times mm-hmm. since then. Um, I've actually stayed with Chris Miller on a couple of occasions, stayed at his house and gone to the game with him and uh, stayed with him in, uh, during the spring for his golf tournament and what have you. So he and I have remained friends. And, and No, I've been in I've been in Austin several times, and, uh, and I've seen some real butt, butt kickings by uh, the Ducks uh, over the Huskies as well. Uh, so I, I, I understand how f- fervent the environment is. Um, I, I I get it. I get the whole picture, and and I get I get the venom that exists between Washington and Oregon. Yeah, when you look 
you know, that run Oregon had winning 12 in a row. A lot of those games were lopsided. Obviously, Washington has put it on Oregon the last two years. Do you get the sense with Browning and now Justin Herbert leading these teams respectively that this actually could be uh, one of the more competitive games we've seen in this series in a long time? Absolutely. Uh, And I think that when you talk about those two guys, uh, you know, Browning is uh, the Washington record holder, you know, so he's going to go down in the history books uh, as, as one of the best Washington quarterbacks. And, uh, and certainly Justin Herbert has emerged. Uh, you know, if, if, if Justin Herbert were to be the number one overall pick in the draft and you've got that matchup alone, Herbert against Browning, obviously they don't play against each other on the field, but, but quarterback matchups do exist. People compare them. So I, I would say not so much a matchup, but a comparison for Browning and Herbert to, to duel against one another. This could be a game that people are talking about 5, 10, 15 years from now. Mm-hmm. What do you, I mean, Justin obviously is going to have a, a tough decision to make at the end of the year. And, you know, we don't know what he's going to do, but he could either go to the NFL, obviously, as a young guy or come back for his senior year. What do you think that would mean? Uh, to Kale if he were able to study one year under Justin next year if he were to come back? I think it'd be phenomenal if he were to come back. I think it'd be great for uh, for the whole program, for Oregon and for uh, for everybody associated with the program, uh, including Kale. I think it'd be uh, a great learning experience. Um, you know, that's just going to come down to Justin's values and, and, and what's important to him. But I know his... his uh, his younger brother's coming in as a tight end in the class of 2019. I don't know how important that would be for him to play with his brother and, and some other things. And, and uh, there may be a sense that uh, Oregon could really compete for the national title if he were to return. So there's a lot for him to, to think about. Uh, you know, Peyton Manning uh, chose to come back for his senior year. And I remember reading, I think it was in Sports Illustrated, uh, a, uh, a, a GM was quoted as saying, hey, here's the deal about Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning is the number one overall pick in the draft if he comes this year. He's the number one overall pick in the draft if he comes next year or any any year he decides to come out. Um, and, and, you know, Manning chose to value certain aspects of the college experience, and he went back for his senior year, and, and there's no doubt he has no regrets about that. Um, so, uh, so Justin, as a uh, a true junior, having been injured, you know, he hasn't he hasn't started every game of his career. Uh, he may decide, and even going back to high school, he missed some time. He may decide that that experience is going to help him be a better professional. Um, I I just don't know. Again, I don't know his values. Uh, I've only met him briefly, and and uh, I certainly like the impression I got from what I met met of him, but. Um, uh, you know that's something he's going to have to decide with his family. But I obviously, obviously would be- benefit everybody involved with Oregon if he were to make that decision. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Josh Allen, who you know Oregon mauled Wyoming last year, and then he's still a number seven pick. Um, you see Baker Mayfield and some of these guys coming in and, and winning games right away. Uh, so obviously these quarterbacks are further along, and, and the rules are different in the NFL that allows them to have some success. But in your opinion, you know, if you're talking to Justin, what do you think the key is to having a career as long as you had in the NFL at, at quarterback? Well, uh, first of all, he's going to enter the NFL. I was a third-round draft pick, and so uh, you know, I didn't enter 
the NFL with expectations that he's going to enter. Uh, but it, it comes down to his uh, values. I mean, I was I was fortunate enough to to play with Dan Marino and John Elway and, and Troy Aikman, and, and so three Hall of Famers right there. I was able to kind of examine and be up close and personal to how they conducted themselves. I, I think that, that uh, you know, they had the great talent, and and yet that talent is not enough. I think they were burning competitors that could handle adversity. Uh, each and every one of them uh, at different points have, had 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 to fight through something. And so, um, you know, having that mental toughness. Um, but I think, you know, being able to process, you know, you know to see, you know, quarterbacking is – is there's a movie taking place and you got to see the scene before you, you you've got to somehow predict you're you're judging the spatial relationship between moving objects and so to throw the ball with anticipation to manipulate the defense with your eyes you know that, that the high level quarterbacks do that uh, and then the judgment every every pass play is a discernment hey do I take a shot uh, and, and go try and get get some yards on this or would it be more prudent to just check it down and wait for the next you know so those decisions have to be made in a split second and so the decision making and and throwing the ball with accuracy is is the most important thing he's got the arm strength he's got the toolbox he's got a he's got a uh, a, a very deep toolbox uh, of skills upon which to draw so he, he can do things physically but he's going to have to throw the ball to the right guy at the right time with accuracy. If he does that, he'll go make $200 million in his career. So obviously if your son is coming to Oregon, you must uh, have a lot of faith in Mario Cristobal. What is it about Mario and the staff that is playing so well on the recruiting trail and and so far um, on the field um, this season? Well, I have several thoughts on that. First of all, uh, I will share with you an anecdote. There were a couple of coaches, former Washington coaches, that have been around to different schools, but but their primary years were at Washington. And uh, these are some old-timer guys. These aren't young guys. And they uh, were having a conversation, uh, and, and, and I'm listening, and they're saying, hey, Here's the deal about Mario. He's one of us. That, those words were spoken. He's one of us. And what he meant by that is that if you trace Don James is the uh, is a legend of Washington. He's the dog father. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, seven BCS games in 18 years. Um, and so uh, everything in Washington is is measured by Don James, the, the gold standard. And so what they said is Mario Cristobal is one of us. He is, if, if you take the coaching lineage, if I can use a term, he is the grandson of Don James. Now, let me explain. That needs an explanation. Nick Saban, in this analogy, is the son of Don James. Nick Saban credits everything that he learned from Don James, and he said, and in fact, he said, if it wasn't for Don James, I wouldn't even be in the coaching profession. So he modeled everything after Don James. Well, Mario Cristobal is modeling a good deal of what he does after Nick Saban. Uh, obviously, he's going to have, have areas where he has a departure, but 
there, there's a lot of things about like how things are practiced and how things are structured that come straight from Saban, which comes straight from Don James. And so the discipline, the emphasis on discipline and, and, and some of the, uh, the core values, uh, when, when two Husky coaches can say Mario Cristobal is one of us, that's what they're referring to. So when I was down watching practice uh, at a time when Kale had, you know, he had, he had offers, you know, Pac-12 offers and Big Ten offers, and, and I was just trying to take in what Oregon was about, and I was watching a practice. Uh, I, I don't think I'm violating any, any trust by telling this, this story, that after practice, Cristobal had the whole team, everybody took a knee, and uh, again, I was trying to, I was trying to, to observe and ascertain everything I could about the program and the culture and the new coach and, you know, what type of system they have and, you know, how they do things, what's the tenor of practice. There's all kinds of things I was trying to glean from one day. And I overheard Cristobal addressing the team in the middle of the field, and I'm on the sideline. And Cristobal was, um, he was reprimanding a kid who had talked back to one of the assistant coaches. And he was getting after him really, really hard. And uh, and then he, after getting after the kid who talked back, he 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 was getting after one of the leaders of the team who had laughed when he heard it. And Cristobal, in a, in a manner that I thought was was uh, just dead perfect in terms of his deliver, he was making it very, very clear that that was unacceptable. And and he was taking a harsh tone, but not he didn't cross you know he didn't cross over the board, but but he was very very firm. And I just thought that that made a huge impression on me. And of course it's Kale's decision, but I related to Kale. I said, look, I have a I got a really good feeling about the fact that that Mario Cristobal is going to raise the discipline level. And uh, and and I think that to reach your potential, I think that you know he here he was nipping in the bud. Uh, you know, uh, a mindset that just wasn't going to work for him, and and it was very sincere and raw, and it was it was really impressive. And uh, so I think that the emphasis on the discipline, him being an offensive lineman uh, as a player and an offensive line coach, I think there's a uh, a stress for the line of scrimmage. I think there's going to be. Imports. I mean, there's no coach in the history of football that's ever said, well, the line of scrimmage doesn't matter. I'm not saying Mark Helfrich didn't believe the line of scrimmage was important. But I think Mario Cristobal thinks the line of scrimmage is more important than Mark Helfrich thought the line of scrimmage was important. I think he's just playing, placing that type of primacy on it. So I think, I think when you couple the discipline and the, uh, the, the unreserved emphasis on the line of scrimmage you know the the, the unshackled this uh, uh focus on that um unwavering i guess is the word i'm looking for unwavering uh uh determination to improve the line of scrimmage I, those are those are bedrocks around which you can really build a, a solid uh, program and oregon has a brand for how they play play fast up tempo the fast guys who touch the ball you know that's a brand that i think appeals to you know to uh a lot of recruits uh i don't think he's going to lose that uh i don't think he wants to 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 depart from that 
I just think he wants to augment it with a real, you know, uh, uh, you know, as I said, unwavering de- dedication to the line of scrimmage. And so um, you couple that with Cristobal and Arroyo, that's the primary guys that Kayla has, has uh, interacted with. Uh, they have a great gift for how they, they interact with young people. And it appeals. They've got they've got energy, uh, seemingly limitless energy, but they have a, a, a manner in which they connect with young people. Uh, they they have got it dialed really well. And so my impressions have been, as you can tell, very 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 favorable uh, to what Oregon has with Kirstball. Well, listen, Hugh, we really appreciate your time um, and safe travels down to Eugene and hope you guys have fun. Uh, Husky Dad and future Duck Son watching the game this weekend. And uh, thanks again. It was great stuff. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. All right, Austin, it's Washington week here in Eugene. The number 17 Ducks host the rival Huskies. Uh, this has been kind of a, a crazy series since we've been here, since 2013. Um, 2013, 2014, 2015, Oregon was putting the finishing touches on 12 consecutive wins over Washington. And the last two years, I think the Huskies have outscored Oregon 108-24, to including a 70-21 to win the last time they were at Autzen. This time, um, I don't want to jinx it, but I think this is going to be a highly competitive, entertaining game that could go either way kind of has that feeling doesn't it uh, i remember my uh, i believe it was the first oregon washington game i covered it was also chris peterson's first i believe and i remember writing at the time <laughs> basically saying oregon fans you guys don't take this for granted you don't know how good you've had it the last decade dominating your rival this way it's not going to be this way forever, so enjoy it while it lasts because payback is coming at some point. Um, surprisingly, the Duck fans did not like to uh, to read that the next morning after another convincing win against Washington, uh, but they've gotten the payback big time the last couple years. The the pendulum has swung, and I'm with you. I think I think finally things are lining up, knock on wood, to have a really competitive down-to-the-wire Oregon-Washington game, which we've been waiting for. So with the momentum Mario Cristobal has created with Justin Herbert, uh, with a much-improved defense under Jim Levitt, does that swing the pendulum back enough for Oregon to win on Saturday? Or does Peterson have at least a third in a row up his sleeve with Jake Browning and a veteran team? You know, I think um, think things could not be lining up any better for Oregon. Oregon had a bye week. Washington was on the road last week. They played UCLA. It was a it was a hard fought game. Um, I'm sure that they were a little bit beat up, a little bit tired coming off that game. Oregon's been licking its chops now for a couple weeks here, uh, getting ready for this game. So I I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Oregon in this game. Um, I just think that, uh, I, I just think being at home and the disappointment of the last two years against, against Washington is enough that they, they find a way to get it done. Uh, it, it may not be pretty, it may not be easy, but I am going to take the ducks this week. I'll probably pick Washington just because I'm 
horrible at picks and need to catch up and they're favored but I think it's a coin flip game um, you know I, I really thought Oregon was going to beat Stanford um, they should have beat Stanford I'm just wondering did they learn enough lessons in that fourth quarter with some of the errors they made to finish a game I think once they finish one of these marquee games I think uh, they're off to the races for the rest of this year and, and next year sets up you know potentially as uh, a national scene return this year. I guess they could return to the national scene this year if they find a way to win the Pac-12 North Division. But, uh, yeah, I'll pick the Huskies, but I think this is going to be a great game. And it would not surprise me if Oregon wins because I think Justin Herbert's a special player. And, you know, Oregon has some really good players on defense now. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for checking out the podcast, everybody. Enjoy Oregon-Washington on Saturday. We'll be back next week to recap everything that happened and look ahead to Washington State. Uh, Until then, thanks for checking out the Duck Pod. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Duck Pod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts.